Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. And I know you're saying it's a little later than you normally do it. And the truth is we are getting really busy again with all sorts of uh, returns to live action events and screenings and stuff like that, which has uh, temporarily disrupted our usual Sunday recording time. So we're kind of having to uh, fit them in when we can around the schedule, but we are committed to continuing uh, the one week uh, one show a week uh, broadcast for you. So you can check us out online at sknr.net. You can check out the latest issue of our magazine. The June issue is almost done and on sale. Skewed and reviewed the magazine. And of course, we have Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L Central, keyword skewed, which are 12 newspapers and 21 markets that we do game content for. And last but not least is the radio show on KSWFM on the intercom uh, radio network, BJ Shea's Geek Nation, where we cover all things movies, games, conventions, pop culture topics, and more. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. Joseph is on convalescence. He had a trip back east, and uh, he, he won't mind me saying this. He said it was okay to let people know. And he decided to do trampoline dodgeball and ended up with a hairline fracture in his foot. So. He is quite literally laid up at the moment. And uh, so uh, before we get to the topics today, we have some really good discussions ranging from Alien Universe to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wanted to talk about some uh, upcoming park attractions as things like this are happening. Fireworks are returning to the California theme park. But last week, I had a really unusual invite come up. I got something from SeaWorld, and they said, hey, can you be over here tomorrow? We have a major announcement, and that was all they gave me. And so as fate had it, my schedule was free enough that I was able to drive over and then drive back uh, the same day. And they started out the presentation in the afternoon, thought it would be talk of an expansion of the park, maybe a new show, maybe a new attraction. Right in the middle of it, clap of thunder, clowns came out, zombies came out, chainsaw-wielding people came out, did an elaborate song and dance routine with special effects, and told us that Hallow Scream is coming to SeaWorld San Diego. And this is going to be an adult-themed Halloween. They'll still keep the kids' uh, events during the day, but it will be a separate ticket event starting on September 17th and running through Halloween. And of course, you're gonna have everything from mazes to shows to special events. Some of them will include um, the roller coasters in the dark and various things like that. I was really impressed with the show. You can check out on the page, sknr.net. I've got video that uh, I took, we have pictures, and then we have some stuff they did. There's also a really fun uh, photo of me sitting on stage with the backdrop and the cast. So a lot of fun there. The other thing I wanted to mention is that Universal Studios Hollywood has said that they will have uh, fireworks on the 4th of July following a very special Waterworld stunt show. But of course, with Fast and Furious being very popular now with F9, the Fast Saga leading the box office and doing well around the world, there will be numerous cars from the film on display at Universal Studios Hollywood. So if you want to take a look at that, that is an option for you. So before we get into the topic, I did also want to mention that PAX 
West is going to be happening live September 3rd through 6th. Tickets went on sale today, as did media registration. Uh, so go ahead and get them. You can get anywhere from uh, one day to multiple day. And uh, looks like it's going to be a really big event. I'm really curious to see which uh, companies uh, show up, which games will be visible. Uh, a lot of people have asked about the health and safety. They are not requiring uh, proof of a vaccine, but they are requiring masks at all time for everybody, vendors, exhibitors, guests. And they've said uh, this will even apply to cosplayers. They told them there can be no helmets, face coverings, anything like that that obscures whether or not they're wearing a mask. It must be visible at all times, and uh, they'll go from there. So really interesting to see uh, what the response to this will be. The final thing I have before we get into our quick topics is Titan Comics has a uh, done a really good job with their Blade Runner series. There's Blade Runner Origins, issue five is due soon, and uh, this is essentially what you would expect. It talks about the early days of the Blade Runner situation expanding on the universe, and it focuses on LAPD detective Cal Moreau, who teams up with an escaped experimental replicant. And I'm not going to spoil more than that, but it's quite good. It was originally teased at uh, Comic-Con online last year. It's been very enjoyable. Issue 5 is going to be out on August 11th, 2021. We have a couple of teaser panels available on our social media and on our YouTube channel. But the really big one that I just read the other day and was blown away with is Blade Runner 2029. It is going to be on sale uh, July 6th, and it is available in a hardcover for $16.99. And it's, so it's an extended one. This isn't like a 10, 15 page issue. Obviously uh, being volume one, it does end on a bit of a cliffhanger for the second one. And it's set in 2027 as there's a Blade Runner named Ash as she continues to hunt the streets of the rain-soaked Los Angeles for renegade replicants. So obviously this is set after the first film. Uh, it talks about the blackout that, hap that was uh, alluded to before the last Blade Runner film. You're dealing with Nexus 8 and the evolving plot, and it is quite good. I was absolutely captivated by it. The artwork was great, and it really made me excited to see what they're going to do with the uh, anime um, Blade Runner that is coming. All right, guys, so uh, topic time. I wanted to start off with something topical and let's start with black widow and the marvel cinematic universe now i'm the only one of us who have seen it i just screened it last night but i'm not alone in this many reviewers have said it's quite good it is a great kickoff to phase four and so my question will be and we'll start with uh, justin why do you think Marvel, specifically the Marvel Cinematic Universe, since they took over and started producing and doing their own films, has succeeded, whereas other studios who have tried to adapt other comics and other Marvel properties have had a lot of failure and moderate success compared to Marvel. So take it away. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot to that, uh, I think. You know, it's it's not just one simple trick. You know, I think there's a lot of things that went into it, but um, I think the biggest factor is probably Paul Feig. Um, you know, 
he really has a unique talent uh, that not a lot of producers have. And, you know, producers aren't exactly, you know, a huge role uh, or traditionally aren't a huge role in the movie making process. Um, you know, uh, of course, th they are important. I'm not trying to say that they're not important, but typically when you talk about, you know, the quality of a movie or a movie franchise, you're usually talking about the actors, the writer, the director. That's usually who gets the attention. But really with, with the MCU, I think Paul Feig is really, uh, or Kevin Feig, sorry. There you uh, go. Thank you. <laughs> uh, did I say Paul Feig earlier? Yeah. Oh, well, my bad, my bad. Paul Feig, hey, totally hey, different person. He's a good person. director and comedy writer. It's easy to mistake. I have no, yeah, totally different person. I meant Kevin Feig. So, yes, yeah, so Kevin Feig, I think, is really the key um, with the MCU. Uh, he has much more of a uh, hands-on role uh, compared to a lot of other um, uh, producers. And, you know, I, I think strategically... Uh, absolutely brilliant idea on his part. Um, a risky move, uh, to be sure. I mean, I, you can't really say that he knew that this would all be so successful. Um, no one had really attempted to do exactly what he did, which is, you know, do like a, a essentially a two-decade project um, to kind of span one story across, you know, 20 movies or more. Um, but he has a very unique talent um for choosing um talent so he knows exactly who to choose for a particular movie to write it to direct it to get uh the the result that he's looking for um and you know it's it's really quite incredible i mean i'll be honest like i don't think every marvel movie has been of the same quality you know i think some are better than others but overall um, they they're very remarkably consistent, which is really I think that one of the most incredible parts of the MCU um, in that you know the fact that it is it is so consistent regardless of the the writers and the directors involved. Um, you know a lot of those writers and directors have different creative visions uh, which often can compete, but it really is pretty remarkably consistent. They all kind of feel like they belong in the same franchise, which I think is really important. He, he, Kevin, Kevin Feige has a really good eye for, for knowing who to choose uh, and really kind of keeping everybody sort of in line so that all the movies sort of feel like they belong together and part of the same franchise. Um, but the other, the other, you know, huge part of it too, that I think is really important is that um, they've had like decades and decades of very popular uh, mythos and comic lines to choose from to to adapt and if you really look at most of the marvel movies up to now they're really kind of like loose adaptions of different graphic novels or different lines of the marvel comics and really you know they've had like five or six decades of um of comics to choose from um to really kind of make this happen you know um it's kind of like the same uh, thing that really made Game of Thrones very successful when it was on the air is that uh, those two guys who were running it, um, they they were particularly good at adapting material. So they had a you know they had the framework of the story in front of them. They had all the books that had already been run, um, or already been written to, and basically the all, their main job was to adapt that material to the television. And they had a really good talent for that. 
and you know when they ran out of material it um it it showed that 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 their main talent was adapting the material not necessarily creating it themselves you know similarly i think um kevin feige and a lot of the the folks over at disney who are um you know in charge of the mcu i think it's similar i think they've they are really good at um looking at the comic lines looking at what's which characters are popular and sort of doing like remixes um of the stories that are in the comics and sort of melding different comic lines together to sort of craft movies out of them um you know civil war good example of that where civil war was a whole line of comics um you know back when i was in high school or college i believe um and they you know sort of took bits and pieces of it when bits and pieces of a different comic line and that's how they kind of crafted the captain america civil war movie so just an example of that i think they they're really good at looking at the several decades of marvel comics and knowing what to choose to make movies uh what to remix and um you know that that goes hand in hand with casting i think the casting for all the characters has been remarkably good and being able to choose the right um actor for particular roles because you know the other thing that really could have uh derailed the entire mcu is early failure and that that's really why they're more successful than everybody else is that uh they they took a risk and they bided their time um when you compare that compared to what dc tried to do or warner brothers rather um they it seemed to me that they tried to uh capture the same marvel success too early so they basically rushed to their um their big tentpole uh crossover event their equivalent of the avengers they tried to get there much faster than what marvel did marvel took three or four movies um to kind of sow the breadcrumbs and make this happen over over a longer period of time and if if any of those movies had flopped or failed early on um i don't think we would have the mcu i think you know it would have been considered too much of a financial risk and they wouldn't have continued but they really knew who to cast in these roles um to kind of keep them you know it if you remember edward norton was the original bruce banner and uh you know he he didn't he didn't reappear as as that role um for the mcu was uh replaced by mark ruffalo if there was a whole lot of that in the mcu a whole lot of recasting you know i think that also would have made it fall apart so they know who to cast they know which stories to adapt and remix and um you know they just they've really just nailed it in terms of uh knowing how to make all these movies feel consistent very good and michael you've been waiting a while what do you you think about all this yeah as justin was going i was like crossing off stuff that i was going to add because he was already covering all those things <laughs> sorry i just i, no, I went right. on a soapbox <laughs> no that's good no it's good it's funny though because i was kind of going down the list and i'm like oh i was gonna say that that's good that's good um yeah and i mean to you know justin brings up some awesome points and i think i think the timing of that was key too i think there was a time where uh you know back in the late 80s early 90s where superhero movies were kind of the thing right everybody was kind of releasing them with the original batman um movies and, and those kind of things and they got to a point where the quality just wasn't there and then when iron man finally hit i think it was at a time when people were ready for 
a spectacle, uh, some grand um, superhero movie. And, and yeah, there were ones before that, uh, Incredible Hulk and those kind of things. But I think Iron Man really, from an MCU perspective, kind of hit the ground running with not only the timing, but the, it goes back to the casting as well. Robert Downey Jr., I think, pretty much portrayed Iron Man as the character that people envisioned when they read the comics, right? Not necessarily from a looks perspective, but from an attitude, the swagger, um, the way he portrayed that character, people could feel the Tony Stark emanating from him. And obviously John Favreau, I think has a lot to do with how successful those first two movies were. Um, and we've seen him continue to do things like with the Mandalorian, for example, and, and bringing those, that vision to the screen. And I think one of the things that we continue to see where the MCU succeeds and where, you know, Warner Brothers and the DC characters tend to fail is it's always about, to me, it's about you find, you understand the, the role of the character and you find the actor that best suits that character. You, what, what, what I think Warner Brothers does and other, other, there are lots of other studios that are certainly, um, guilty of this is they'll take the hit or up and coming actor or actress and fit them into a, a role that does not suit them. And I mean, we took a Batman and Robin in particular for that. Again, going back to an older superhero movie, you know, casting Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. He certainly was not the Mr. Freeze that we had seen in the animated series or in the comics, but he was a well-known name. He was a well-known actor he just didn't fit that role. And I think one area where the MCU has really done great is taking, yes, they're well-known actors. They're not necessarily the it actor for the time, but they understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. They play those to the part. And I think, unfortunately, we see that too often where, oh, so-and-so's uh, the, the name that everybody wants to go see in the theater, so let's put him in this movie and, and see how he fits. And a lot of times it just does not work. Uh, so I think it is about cultivating those characters, getting those, as Justin was pointing out, getting those characters to, you know, sign on and be ready to do a, you know, a ten-year deal, um, which is complicated. It's it's difficult. Where we have a lot of movies, and I think with, when it comes to series in particular, when you start recasting the main characters and the main roles, it tends to fall apart. And again, some of that's just because you can't expect you know, the, the continuity to continue with how the character behaves on screen. Um, and again, I think it's, it's key to the success is having so many of these characters return time and time again for all these movies. And it might be a, a cameo in the end credits where we see um, Mark Ruffalo or somebody in the end credits of a movie, or, you know, maybe they're skipping one of the movies, but only com to come back in the next one but being available to continue to do that. And, and yes, there were obviously some, a couple of changes in some fairly major characters, but the main core, the main group of characters stayed the same. Now the question will be, you know, when you start utilizing all of the really or main popular characters uh, in the first 10 years or so, the MCU, how does that transition into the next phase? And I think we're going to see, I mean, we're still seeing some of the, residuals like with black widow obviously that's really part of the original phase of the mcu will be see, it'll be interesting to see how that vision not, not to decone it not to be you know a pun but it's there it continues forward with the next series uh, in the mcu can they continue to drive this forward you know i think with 
the the way they've been driving things, the casting, having a story that is again drawn out across multiple movies, right? You don't just sit there and say each each project or each film is its own entity where there's no uh, coordination between them. You can't have something like the MCU exist where each movie is its own entity and there's no continuation of the story. There's none of this going back and forth, back and forth, you know, 10 years before, now we're back in the future. Uh, they all have a continuity and they reference each other. And I thought that was one of the things that they did, even with um, some of the the Marvel cinematic television shows and i don't mean necessarily the newest ones with disney but even with like things like agents of shield there was still that tying back into the mcu universe films was it done as often as they should have i don't think so occasionally they would have a cameo which i thought was great but i wish they had done that more in that series to tie a lot of these things back together but ultimately speaking there was still that continuity it still felt a part of the universe and that's when you go to these movies you know, you can, you certainly can go and not have experience with the movies you've seen in the past. I mean, you certainly can do that. But the reality is they build on each other. So if you, you get, I think, a lot more out of it from seeing them from the beginning all the way through the current um, in order than maybe you would if you've just kind of piecemeal them together. But again, I think that continuity, that story, that timeline that it builds makes it feel like an epic event versus a bunch of films in some trilogy. I think you guys, uh, I mean, I don't think you guys have absolutely nailed it. And I think for me, the biggest things are uh, beyond what you have said or expanding on it is number one, they have an amazing eye for talent. Uh, I mean, come on. When they mentioned Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, so many people were like, what? Huh? What? And then you see it and you're like, oh, wow, he's playing Scott Lang. And that, that works. Um, there were people that were upset with some of the casting choices along the way, and yet the films go on to do phenomenal business. And I think one of the things they've been very clever about is that the storylines do not always follow the comics exactly. And I know this is a bone of contention for some purists, but you could be the biggest hardcore comic fan who has every single story memorized, and they still keep you guessing because you cannot sit down and say, well, I know exactly what's going to happen. And they are not afraid to reinterpret some characters as they move forward. And I think this goes not only with casting well, but above all, it is a clear plan, and they are not afraid to make changes. Let's not forget that they recast Rhodes for Iron Man 2. You already mentioned Mark Ruffalo in The Hulk. They have had situations where they have changed directors. This is a vision, wrong or right, maybe someone else's vision might have been better, but it didn't fit with the cinematic universe, and Marvel has been very consistent with this is, this is what works, this is what we're going with. And, you know, they've been able to take lesser-known character and franchises and turn them into big hits. You mentioned how we have Shang-Chi coming up in September, we have the Eternals in November. I have no reason to believe these things are not going to be big hits as well. Are they going to be to the Avenger numbers? Probably not. But then again, Captain Marvel cracked a billion dollars and people were not quite expecting that. So, you know, these are all great things to look forward to. And I, I look back to the biggest for many people. I know it's debatable, but I think we can agree that Spider-Man was definitely a huge draw. 
And the fact that Sony, after two original successful films, the third one debatable, I mean, it made money not so successful with fans. They rebooted with Andrew Garfield. First film did all right. Second film didn't hit like they had hoped to. And they had to reach out to Marvel and say, hey, how can we make this work? How could we tie this all in? And that gives you an idea, because even they saw Marvel's got this right. We've got a Marvel property. Um, how are we going to make this work? And the fact that even when the deal expired, they still were able to negotiate something and continue to work together. And I think one of the biggest problems is that when studios adapt comics, you normally have all these people who decide that they want to make their new interpretation of the material. And sometimes you have people who are so loyal to the comic and then the studio wants something more contemporary. Let's not forget the Superman film they wanted to do where Superman didn't fly and he fought a um, giant spider and he was going to uh, go up at, with a uh, feminine uh, robot sidekick. You know, these are people who truly don't get it. And I think you get these people that try to make these comic films as cheaply as possible in the past, and they go to it and say, oh, this is going to be a one to three film thing, whereas Marvel goes in and says, we have a decades-long plan, and this film is going to fit with this one, it's going to fit with this one. I'm not going to spoil anything, but Black Widow fits very well with the TV shows that are coming on Disney Plus as well. It is a clear vision of the future, and that is pretty slick. Now, Michael, I know that you are up against it on time, so I'm going to have you start the topic next, and then you can go, and Justin and I will finish it. So really quick, looking at the original Alien film, uh, my wife said to me the other day, what would have happened if they would have actually listened to Ripley? Because didn't she not want to allow them on the ship once Kane was infected? She wanted to follow the company's quarantine protocols. Now, we all know Ash overrided her, let him in, so on and so forth. But what if Dallas and Lambert had said, you know, you're absolutely right, isolated us, uh, don't let us in, don't let us in. What do you think would have happened? Well, we wouldn't have had much of a movie. Uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it's funny because obviously there would be quarantines in place for that reason, right? Because if it wasn't an alien, it could have been some um, virus or some biological, other biological thing that would have, you know, caused problems with the ship. You know, I think there were obviously political and, and company reasons why they obviously sent them there and brought them on the ship, which I think was more than simply the, the quarantine protocol. Uh, but but I mean I, that doesn't mean you couldn't have taken it another way where something would have happened in in quarantine and and the alien would have would have escaped anyways and, and also probably done <laughs> done a number to to both of them regardless. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean I think I, I we kind of look at some of these things and it, it does change the the story. Now would the outcome have changed? Uh, maybe not. I mean maybe the alien still would have been able to get on board the ship depending on how they what their quarantine protocol was where they had them stationed it could have maybe hung onto the outside and, and broken in some other way um you know there's all there's all sorts of i think opportunities there that we could say you know maybe it wouldn't have mattered maybe it it would have still found a way on board maybe it still would have found a way to um wipe out the crew um you know it, I, th I think it's honestly a, a, they could have taken it that way and made it a bit more 
I guess, re- realistic based on uh, on what what type of safety protocols we would expect to see um, in the future like that. But yeah, I don't know. I think I think honestly, the way the alien films are and how crafty we know the alien can be, that even in a quarantine situation, it probably would have found a way off uh, the ship. Interesting. Or onto the ship, I suppose. Well, I hope you have a good evening at your event tonight. So let us know how that goes. And uh, Justin, what is your take on this? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Michael brings up good points there that um, really, well, one, the movie would have been not quite as exciting, um, it, you know, if if it was totally 100% realistic and they had followed uh, proper quarantine protocols. Um, you know, uh, the point that Ash overrides uh, Ripley's order, um, that's really actually a very key, you know, story point in the movie because... You know, it heavily implies uh, almost overtly uh, that Ash had prior knowledge of the alien. Um, and that becomes kind of a, a running theme slash question through the through all of the movies is how much did the company know about the alien and how did they know about the alien? Um, you know, it, it really kind of implies that uh, Ash had some prior knowledge of it and so in that sense it doesn't really matter too much uh yeah they could have maybe uh overrided ash's decision um just if um if dallas had uh you know as captain to said you know hey i'm in charge of this ship but at the same time ash probably would have found another way to get the alien on board if if that was his basically prime directive um similarly you know you can kind of just extrapolate what would happen to the characters outside the ship uh we know that the chestburster is was going to come out of kane um so you know that violent event would have happened outside the ship and the others would have panicked and would have said you know screw the quarantine i'm getting on the ship any way possible and um you know, all hell would break loose in that regard. And like Michael said, the alien is very crafty and intelligent. It would have found a way onto the ship anyway. So, you know, in the end, I'm not really quite sure it would have mattered. It would just sort of shift the events um, in a different way and sort of force the characters to kind of come up with different ways to get their, their goals accomplished. And it's such a wonderful debate because you could say, had the alien emerged outside the ship, would Dallas or Lambert have pulled the weapons and blown the thing away while it was still just a chestburster? Would the, it have scurried off somewhere into the rocks? They would have said, screw it, get back on the ship. The ship would have taken off, left him there. I thought an interesting angle, too, was the fact that twice, I just watched it again the other day, before the eggs were discovered, Lambert kept saying, let's get out of here. First she says, let's get the hell out of here let's get out of here and Kane is the one who kept saying let's go on let's go on kind of in his nature he went down had to go have a look at the eggs and all of that and I thought wouldn't it have been interesting if uh, Parker or Brett now we know this is not Brett's character because he always followed Parker they were the ones that was all about money 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 and wouldn't it have been interesting if once they went down there and they saw on the video feed that there was indeed a ship 
that they were the ones who brought the eggs in because salvage rights. Oh my goodness, we found this ship, we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. We can't leave yet, we gotta make sure our salvage claim is in place. As such, you know, kind of like they, like Burke. Oh, there's an alien life form, that's money, ka-ching. And so there, there are so many interesting possibilities, but it does make you wonder what would happen if they would have just said, screw it, we're out of here. And like one of the ideas I'd always speculated is what would have happened if they would have listened to Parker and just kept him frozen and handed him frozen with the face hugger on him over to the company. These are all, you know, where, where he would have been in quarantine and would Ash have tried to pull what Burke was alleged to have done and killed off the crew so only Ash returns with um, the infected cane. Just so many stories, such interesting stuff. And I even have an interesting topic we'll discuss next week uh, if it comes up. But for now, folks, that is going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, feel free to submit your topics. Just go to uh, G-A-R-E-T-H at S-K-N-R dot net. Send over your topics. And until then, take care. We'll talk to you next week.